Chapter 3 Ferns Hollow. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are recorded in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Matthew Johnson. Ferns Hollow, written by Hespa Stretton. Chapter 3 James Fern did not have many more days, and he was buried the Sunday following his death. All the colliers and pitmen from Botfield walked with the funeral of their old comrade and made a great burial of it. The parish church was two miles on the other side of the Botfield, and four miles from Fern's Hollow. So James Fern and his family had never, as he had called it, troubled the church with their attendance. All the household, even to little Nan, went with their father's corpse, to bury it in the strange and distant churchyard. Stephen felt as if he was in some long and painful dream, as he sat in the cart with his feet resting upon his father's coffin, with his grandfather on a chair at the head, nodding and laughing at every jolt on the rough road, and Martha holding a handkerchief up to her face, and carrying a large umbrella over herself and little Nan, to keep the dust off their new black bonnets. The boy, grave as he was, could hardly think. He felt in too great a maze for that. The church, too, which he had never entered before, seemed grand and cold and immense, with its lofty arches and a roof so high that it made him giddy to look up at it. Now and then he heard a few sentences of the burial service sounding out grandly in the clergyman's strange but deep voice, but they were not words he was familiar with, and he could not understand their meaning. At the open grave only the clergyman said, Our Father, which his father had taught him during his illness, and while tears rolled down his cheeks for the first time that day, Stephen repeated over and over again to himself, Our Father, Our Father. Stephen would have liked to stay in the church for the evening service, for which the bells were already ringing, but this did not at all suit the tastes of his father's comrades. They made haste to crowd into a public house, where they sat and drank and forced Stephen to drink too, in order to drown his grief. It was a still, painful dream to him, and more and more as the long hours passed on, he wondered how he came there, and what all the people about him were doing. It was quite dark before they started homewards, and the poor old grandfather was no longer able to sit up in his chair, but lay helplessly at the bottom of the cart. Even Martha was fast asleep, and leaned her head upon Stephen's shoulder, without any regard for her new black bonnet. The cart was now crowded with as many of the people as could get into it, who sang and shouted along with the quiet Sunday road, and, as they insisted upon stopping at every public house they came to, it was very late before they reached the lane leading up to Fern's Hollow. The grandfather was half dragged and half carried by the two of the men, followed by Stephen, now bearing sleepy little Nan in his arms, and by Martha, who had wakened up in a temper between crying and scolding. The long, strange, painful dream of his father's funeral was not over yet, and Stephen was still trying to think in a stupid, drowsy fashion, when he fell heavily asleep on the bed beside his grandfather. He awoke by habit very early in the morning, and aroused himself with great effort against dropping asleep again. He could realize and understand his position better now. Father was dead, and there was no one to earn bread from the mall but himself. At this thought he sprang up instantly, though his head was aching in a manner that he had never felt before. 
With some difficulty, he awoke Martha to get his breakfast and put up his dinner in a basket, which he carried with him to the pit. She also complained bitterly of her headaching and moved about with a listlessness very different to her usual activity. I only wish I knew what was right, said Stephen to himself. They told us we ought to show respect for Father, but I don't think he'd like this. Perhaps I could read the Bible all through. That would tell me everything. This thought reminded Stephen that he had promised his father to read his chapter every day of his life till he knew how to read more, and carrying the old Bible to his favorite seat on the door, a very pleasant place in the cool, fresh summer morning. He read the verses aloud, slowly and carefully, rather repeating than reading them, for he knew his chapter better by heart than by the printed letters in the book. Thank God Stephen Fern did begin to know it by heart. It was not a bad day in the pit. All the colliers, men, and boys were more gentle than usual with the fatherless lad, and even Black Thompson, his master since his father's illness, who was in general a fierce bully to everybody about him, spoke as mildly as he could to Stephen. Yet all the day Stephen longed for his release in the evening, thinking about how much work there wanted to be doing in the garden, and how much he and Martha must be still busy there until nightfall. The clanking of the chain which drew him up to the light of day sounded like music to him, but little did he guess that an enemy was lying in wait for him at the mouth of the pit. Hilio! cried a voice down from the shaft as they were nearing the top. One of you chaps have got to carry a sack of coals one mile. The voice belonged to Tim Cole, who was one of the terror of the pit bank. From his love of mischief and his insatiable desire for fighting, he was looking down at the shaft now, with a grin and a laugh upon his red face, round which his shaggy red hair hung like a rough mane. There were only two other boys besides Stephen in the skip, and as their fathers were with them, it might be dangerous to meddle with them, so Tom fixed upon Stephen as his prey. "'Thee's got to carry these coals, Steve,' he said, his eyes dancing with delight. "'I won't,' replied Stephen. "'Thee shalt,' cried Tim with an oath. "'I won't,' Stephen repeated steadfastly. "'Then we'll fight for it,' said Tim, clenching his fists and squaring his arms, while the men and boys formed a ring around the two lads and one and another spoke encouragingly to Stephen, who was somewhat slighter and younger than Tim. He had beaten Tim once before, but that was months ago, yet the blood rushed into Stephen's face, and he set his lips together firmly. Up yonder, just within the range of his sight, was Fern's Hollow, with its neglected garden and his supper waiting for him, and here was the heavy sack of coals to be carried for a mile, or was the choice of fighting with Tim. I wish I knew what I ought to do, he said, speaking aloud, though speaking to himself. Aye, aye, lad, cried Black Thompson. It's a shame to make thee fight, and thy father not cold in the graveyard yet. I say, Tim, what is it thee wants? These coals, answered Tim doggedly, are to be carried to the new farm. And if Steve Fern won't take them one mile, he must fight me afore he goes off to this bank. No, lads. I'll be the judge between ye this time, said Black Thompson. Stevie shall carry them to the inn of Red Lane and cut across the hill home. That's not much out of the way, and if Tim makes him go one step farther, I'll lick thee myself tomorrow, lad, I promise thee. Stephen hoisted the sack upon his shoulders in silence, 
and strode away with a swelling heart in which a tumult of anger and perplexity was raging. If I had only a commandment about these things, he thought. He was not quite certain whether it would not have been best and wisest to fight with Tim and have it out, especially as Tim was all the time taunting him for being a coward. But his father had read much to him during the last three months, and though he could not remember any particular commandment, he felt sure that the Bible did not encourage fighting or drunkenness. Suddenly, and before they reached the end of the red lane, a light burst upon Stephen's mind. I say, Tim, he said, speaking to him for the first time, it's four miles to the new farm, and I'll go with thee a mile farther than Red Lane. Eh, cried Tim, and get Black Thompson to lick me tomorrow? No, said Stephen earnestly. I'll not tell Black Thompson, and if he hears talk of it, I'll say I did it of my own mind. Come thy ways, Tim, let's be sharp for I've my potatoes to hoe when I get home tonight. The boys walked briskly on for a few minutes, past the end of Red Lane, though Stephen cast a wistful glance up at it and gave an impatient jerk to the load upon his shoulders. Tim had been walking beside him in silent reflection, but at last he came to a sudden halt. I can't make it out, he said. What art thee up to, Stephen? Tell me out plain or I'll fight thee here, if Black Thompson does lick me for it. Why, I've been learning to read, answered Stephen, with some pride. And of course I know things I didn't used to know, and what thee doesn't know now. And what's that supposed to do with it? inquired Tim. My chapter says that if any man forces me to go one mile, I am to go two, replied Stephen. It doesn't say why exactly, but I'm going to try what good it will be to me to do everything that my book tells me. It's a queer book, said Tim, after a pause. Does it say a chap may make another chap do his work for him? No, Stephen answered. But it does say that we are to love our enemies and do good to them that hate us, that we may be the children of our Father, which is in heaven. That, that's God, Tim. So that is why I am going a mile farther with thee. I don't hate thee, said Tim uneasily, but I do love fighting. I'd rather thee fight than to come another mile. Don't thee come any farther. I've been a bone lazy all day, and thee's been at work. And I say, Stevie, I'll help thee tomorrow with the potatoes to make up for this bout. Stephen thanked him and accepted his offer heartily. The load was quickly transferred to Tim's broad back, and the boys parted in more goodwill than they had ever felt before. Stephen strengthened this by favorable result in his resolution to put in practice all he knew of the Bible, and Tim, deep in thought, as was evident from his muttering every now and then, on his way to the new farm. Queer book, that, and a queer chap, too. End of chapter 3 Recording by Matthew Johnson